Hello, and welcome to The Delicious Truth with Gloria Cotton. I'm Gloria. During this podcast, we're going to cover a variety of topics that are impacting our everyday lives. We'll look at four things for each topic. One, the absolute empirical truth. That's all about the facts and data. Then we'll look at the personal experiential truth. And that's about how those facts and others do and don't show up in people's lives and their experience of them. Next, the consequential, impactful truth. The difference this makes in people's lives. And finally, you'll hear about resources and solutions you can use to empower yourself and others. I guess by now, you know, I'm excited about every one of the guests that appears on my podcast because they're all brilliant and wonderful. And we are not breaking that trend right now. The title of this episode is We Need to Change. Now, what does that mean? And our guest is Mr. Andre Robert Lee. Let me tell y'all why I love Andre, okay? <laughs> First of all, I think I have known Andre about three years. You'll tell me, Andre, is that right? I think it's more than that, Glory. It might be four. four oh, or five. my goodness. Okay, see how quickly things go yeah. when it's going well. Mm-hmm. So let me tell y'all a little bit about Andre. First of all, he is so talented and skilled. He's a director and a producer and a keynote speaker and an activist and a teacher. When I first met him, um, he had already been the director of, and I saw this movie that he made. The title is The Prep School Negro. And I want you to tell people how they can see that masterpiece. Okay. Um, and then he is also the producer of uh, this this film called I'm not racist, am I? I mean, it's really good stuff. And latest, The the Road to Justice. He's executive, executive producer on there. And on the 20th, there's a, a screening on that. And oh my goodness, you can just, y'all need to Google this man, but you are so blessed, <laughs> as am I, because we're getting ready to have a conversation with this man right now. Andre, thank you so much for being with me here on the podcast. Wow, you kidding me? It's my pleasure. Thank you so very much. As I heard you introducing this, I remember the first time you mentioned to me you're doing a podcast, and I thought about the timbre of your voice, and I was like, that's it. Of course you're doing a podcast. <laughs> Wonderful. I'm going to ask you when it's not eating up your time, what in the world do you mean when you say that? But thank you. <laughs> thank you so much. So I'm fascinated by this title. We need to change. Now, what does that mean? So let me ask you, who is the we and what is the change that you're <clears throat> talking about? You know, the, the we is the world, all of us, mm. all of us. We, we right now, and I, I, when I say this, I come through this, come to this through my work, and then I expand it out. So if I zero in on my work, I work around anti-racism. I'm working to train people to be anti-racist, to live in an anti-racist way. And I was at a session, leading a session a couple of weeks ago, and a white gentleman said, you know, the thing I've learned the most from these sessions you've done with us is that I need to stop looking at this as work and look at this as just a way of being. And I said, that's exactly it. You know, this is not, okay, nine to five, I'm done being anti-racist. Let me go home and do what I do. No, it is, 
there is a big change that needs to happen in our society and our world. We live here in the United States and living under something locally that's 400 plus years old. And that thing is a racist society that's structured and began around racism and the enslavement of people. Now, the folks who started those programs, they studied the Greeks and the, and the ancient scholars and thinkers to understand how to justify slavery, justify subjugation of people. So that tells us that this work is centuries old. So we're trying to take that apart and move forward. And when I think about change, we're living under these systems and practices and ways of being that are structured around a system that we don't even see and understand. I know people are saying it again and again. That's why I go to the next level of change. So I believe with my work, I always try and teach people so they have the historical basis connected to these issues, which is why I go back to Aristotle and they're like, you know, Thomas Jefferson studied Aristotle's approach to justify enslaving people. That's not my opinion. That's fact. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So we exist under that. So I think that's, when I think about that change, learning, understanding, studying, moving forward, it's changed. And then to take it to the other level, the internal level, we have to look at the way we feel in our heart and the way we think in our head. And where do those two meet? How does our emotional self find our intellectual self and how they come together? And when we look at that self right there, we got to look at it and say, self, I need to talk to you. Mm-hmm. Change. That's how I see the change. Mm-hmm. So I'm curious, what do you think the most immediate change is that we need to make? Because a lot of stuff is going on uh, in our, I mean, we have so many things that are going on and racism is one big part of it. Mm-hmm. Where do you think we need to, what are some of the first steps you think we need to take? Some of the first steps. I would, I mentioned one a moment ago in terms of knowing and understanding and studying history. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And then that the other change is get outside of your little circle, your little world, your little virtual world. You know, right now it's virtual because we can't go to many places. But how do you go past the comfortable space that you know and entertain dialogue and conversation and build relationships with people that are different from you? And not just saying, okay, come be like me. But I'm going to learn how you function, eat, dance, live, and I'm going to understand that and share how I do the same things and learn and grow and maybe shift and change the way I do things because some ways that I function may be hurting you. you know. So I'm, I'm loving this whole thing about history because mm-hmm. there's a lot to be learned from that. But the truth is, like, you you are a student of history and you're an academician and you're a teacher There are many reasons that you get down to the nitty gritty of history. But the truth is that in this country, our history has been, it's a lie. Mm -hmm. as it has been presented to us. We don't know what our history is. Um, And so how do we go about, because we can't rely upon it in the school systems. Oh, no. To teach us what the history is. Aristotle, what is that? Right. I mean, and if we are studying Aristotle, we are not studying about race. No. That's not what we're doing. So how can we find out 
the truth about the genesis of racism when it's not being in taught being taught by any of our systems that you would think in resources where you think it would be where can we get it yeah the thing is it's not illegal at least not yet to study this information and it's out there and there's so many scholars i mean you know i, I that's your your question falls right into my heart in numerous ways because i feel like 10 years ago i would have had a different answer than i have now and I happen to have colleagues and friends who are now getting PhDs, studying this work deeply, you know, and saying, I want to teach and educate, educate in ways that I never had. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. We, we live in a society where a group of people in the South, primarily the Daughters of the Confederacy, stepped up and said, we will not study slavery extensively because it's a scar. I'm not sure if you faced it, but I recently had, I lost some clients because the government, the federal government, put out a, a cease and desist letter telling all institutions that receive federal funding to stop talking about this anti-racist training, stop talking about this uh, cultural competency, because it was it was anti-America propaganda. Yes. So the thing to do, yeah, the thing to do is, as I was trained, be a critical thinker. When you're told no, go find out how you can find a yes. Mm-hmm. So. When I say the how, you don't have to do what I do and read about Aristotle and read all the books that I do. There are documentaries, there are podcasts, there are people. You know what I did? Okay, the other day I had a presentation and I was talking to real estate agents in the Philadelphia area. Now, all these people had heard redlining, but they had never really dug dug into it in the study where it came from. And so my job was to talk to them about the history of segregation related to housing in Philadelphia and have them understand and think about how they would do their work better. I only had 90 minutes, not a semester which I needed. (laughs) You know what I did? I called um, some older Black people. This woman, her name is Barbara Mason. She grew up around the corner from me. Well, I I grew around the corner from her, rather, in Philadelphia. Um, She's a good friend. She's actually, this is a fun one. I might get in trouble saying it. She's my first kiss's mother. All right. (laughs) My first kiss is mother. I don't know if she knows that. So if she's listening. Yes, she does. She will. (laughs) Nikki was my first kiss. Um, And um, I called her and said, you know, when you moved to to my neighborhood, West Oakland, Philadelphia, all black neighborhood, what was it like? What happened? How did you get the house? Who'd you talk to? And then I called my aunt. Now I have an aunt named Queen Esther. That's her birth name. You know them people now south. I do. Right. She and her family have migrated from Orangeburg, South Carolina to Philadelphia. So I called her and said, you know, what was your story? Do you remember remember being a little girl and what you saw with getting a house and watching your parents get a house in Philadelphia in 1930 something? You know, because you were a small kid. And she remembered. She said, yeah. And it was funny because they were talking about it delicately because these are older African-Americans. So they're trained not to talk and question the system too much. That's right. And I had to pull it out of like I was like, I said, so like I was talking to Mrs. Mason and I said, so do the black people move the white people move out of the neighborhood? Why do you think so? She's called, you know. And I saw what she said. And I was like, I no, I don't know. Tell me more. You know, it's just how people are. And I was thinking about how the older generation, they were trained That's right. not to say certain things. 
That's right. That's right. Their lives depended on it. It's, it's because what? Their lives depended on it. Thank you. Thank you. In season one, in the um, episode 11 and 12, when I talk about post-traumatic slavery disorder, we have to understand why Black people and white people and all other people haven't talked about racism. Mm -hmm. And it's because it kept the people that are pulling the strings in the position to pull the strings. And we were the strings and on the end of the strings Mm -hmm. that they were pulling. It was, it was, and and it was a matter of life and death. Mm -hmm. It it absolutely was. Mm -hmm. So there are some people I look at people that are older than me and some of them are activists and have been all their lives. Mm -hmm. But a lot of people still, are uncomfortable talking about mm-hmm. uh, what has gone on before. And I have to remember that. Oh, my goodness. You're making re- me remember. I was listening to some young people who didn't know who Earth, Wind, and Fire was. No, I have mercy. And I'm like, what? You got to be kidding me right now. You black and you don't know who the world knows who Earth, Wind, and Fire was. Right. What up? We don't know our own people. Right. I mean, and we we don't know in churches what Dr. Watts was. Right. Don't, with some, some young people, I'm sorry to say, don't know who Dr. King was. I know. And I, I stopped to think about what a sorry job we are doing mm-hmm, 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 in mm-hmm. teaching our people mm-hmm. our heritage and our culture. Mm-hmm. Because we can't rely upon anybody. We haven't been able to rely upon anybody else to do it. Mm-mm. And Mm-mm. so our word of mouth stories that mm-hmm. we used to use, we're not doing that anymore. Mm-hmm. What is wrong with us? Right. 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 Call. You know what? Call somebody that's been around and ask some questions. They love they're, they They love to have the conversation. And you know what? I, I believe in this. Someday I'm going to be sitting there hoping somebody calls me. Mm-hmm. So I make the calls like I, I try and fold it into my work. You know, I, I think that, yeah, I think it's, it's important and it feels good. It just feels good. And you get some great information and knowledge. You know, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. People, people love talking about themselves. Just ask them to do that and they will. <laughs> I hadn't thought about that. Thank you for that. Thank you for that. I mean, I've thought about going to um, elder care facilities and reading mm. to people there who don't have, um, you know, people around them to do that. But you've given me, that's me giving to them mm-hmm. and honoring and respecting them. I had never thought mm-hmm. to ask them when they have the wherewithal to do it. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Tell me about your history, what it was like growing up for you in the United States. That's, oh, that's really good. Thank you. Thank you. Mm-hmm. Wow. We might be able to write a book. Yeah, right. <laughs> you know? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Or two. Um, you know, growing up, I'll, I'm going to I'll add on a little bit to what we just talked about and talk about growing up. And the way I figured out what it meant to call and have those conversations. When I first got out of college, I was living in New York City and I was missing the food that I grew up with. So I would call my grandmother and say, Grandma, how do you make that sweet potato bread? And I ain't talking about sweet potato bread like banana bread like you see your friends, but I'm talking that thick, yummy peach. You can only eat a little corner of it because it's so yummy and delicious. Ooh, we, ooh, we. Yeah, and that's a, a recipe she had. You know, I said, Grandma, also, I remember you making smothered chicken. How do I make the gravy? How do I do that? Mm-hmm. And she's like, boy, I told you before. And then she would go into it. And I could almost hear her smiling 
on the phone when she just talked to the recipes. And I still make that stuff based on how she taught me. So my, my growing up, my growing up was hard. I have to really acknowledge and admit and say that. Um, I was with people. My parents had separated. I think my mother was in a lot of pain. My mother raised my sister and I in Philadelphia in the 70s and 80s on $13,000 a year. Wow. A year. And she, wow. kept, she almost lost out, but she kept it. Good one. Uh, she, right. She kept us fed. Yes, the lights were off once in a while, but they came back on, you know, Um and she she was she also has so many hustles. She sold Avon. She <laughs> did. Yeah, she she you know those little brown envelopes they have in church with money in it. Yeah. She somebody was always slapping some something they bought from her or some deal she's making with them or some work she was doing because she knew she had to she had to make it by. And I I have that spirit when people say you do so much. I'm like yeah because I watch a woman do so much to keep me alive. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And so. When I say life wasn't easy, I think about the financial, the material stuff, you know, and then I think about someone who was working so hard, who came home and, you know, was a little checked out from working in a factory all day and suffering being a single parent. And I didn't have, I was, I was, I was an emotional and needy child, I think in some ways, and I didn't get it. Like, I think I imagine I needed it. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So you know, thank God for therapy as an adult yeah. working process through that. Um, but I I had a complicated growing up here in America, and I really I used to think there was something wrong with my family. They weren't smart enough. They didn't work hard enough. Why don't we have? Why? 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 And as I got this is I think this is why I'm so committed to understanding racism as a system, is I start looking going, oh, we had a smaller house because when grandma went to go to the bank to get a loan, this is what she was offered. She was allowed to be in a certain district and only given a lease, only given a right to rent here and then given a mortgage rate that was so high, she had to, she had to take it and run and go with it. So their, their, their exclusion from society in numerous ways in our financial situation wasn't connected to their skill and ability. So that's the same now. That's not changed. Yeah, I know. So, so what do we need? And, and here's that word. Right. What needs to change? One thing, we need to understand our history better. Yes. yes. Our real history, not right. what someone has fabricated and not the little doles and dribbles that they would give us. Mm-hmm. So let's go to the source mm-hmm. while we have them. And get those stories. That's one. Mm-hmm. Redlining still exists. Oh, yeah. And so what do we need to do? Mm-hmm. What's, that, what's that change that we need to do about redlining? Mm-hmm. Well, um, I'm thinking of two things. One, something you have said to me in the past, and I've learned and gained from you. Um, you talked about how confident you are. And that's always settled with me and stayed with me. If the audience can see you, I'm sure they can see you nodding like, yes, I'm very confident. I know what you're doing because that's what you are. And I've always seen it. And I thought about that. Raising confident people, encouraging confidence in other people and giving them that inner strength to deal with the complicated moments, I think is a really important step. That's the individual space. 
Mm-hmm. Now, look at it policy-wide or um, I'll say programming-wide, programming policy, legislatively, et cetera-wide. One of my trips, I lead a trip, I lead trips through the South. I do civil rights trips. That's what the Roads of Justice film was about. Mm. Junior high school students take adults into the South. And we visit this one place in Selma, Alabama and sit with a woman named Miss Annie Pearl. And Miss Annie Pearl is everything she sounds like. You know, um, she's she just called me last week. She says, I'm 78. I was at the foot of the Evan Pettis Bridge. She's a big sign she made that says, vote or die. And one time my travelers turned to her and said, well, there was, I have all white travelers, including Miss Annie Pearl. She's an older black woman. She was on the Edmund Pettus Bridge on that march with John Lewis, one of the few people that actually got arrested that day. So she's lived it, and she still lives it. And someone said, what should I do when I go home? And she said, you know what? <laughs> she leaned in. She said, I got arrested 50 times last year. How about you? Because I'm protesting that what's not right. And she said, you know, this would you if you wanted something you really, really could do, go home to your neighborhood, your white neighborhood, and look at the local covenants that have rules about selling houses to African Americans, even though you may have African Americans in your neighborhood, and demand that they change that covenant and take that rule. You know, there's still some covenants, covenants in a neighborhood, which are rules about how things function, but not selling house to African Americans. She said, go home and demand that change. We we have to, we have, we have, the change that has to happen is internal is where I think it first starts. And that's why I mentioned the confidence level first. And then secondly, we have to push and demand and force these rules and laws to benefit us. We have to force and demand the system change yeah. so we can equally participate and not sit back and watch it, watch it happen and take place. Yeah. And so we have to know what that system is. Mm-hmm. And our white brothers and sisters have to know what it is too, because oh, yeah. they don't know and we don't know, and nobody knows. But everybody is being held, confined, constricted to them. Um, I, I I came up with a term recently. It's called pro inclusionist, <laughs> and it is you know I was looking at what is wrong when I look at the term anti racist. Mm-hmm. Something's missing. Something's missing for me from that statement. It says what I'm not going to do. and that, But you know what? I need you to look at what you are going to do. That's what I need you to look at. And, and here's what I'm hoping and praying and knowing can happen. When we get this right around, about racism, then we can use those things that we've learned as a template to address all that other crap. That, you know, uh, if you're not Christian, you're not wanted. Mm-hmm. If you are, um, uh, if your accent is anything outside the U.S., and it depends on where in the U.S., you're mm-hmm. not wanted. Mm-hmm. You know, all those things I think we have to look at. If you um, uh, are a certain age, you're not wanted. If you're a certain race, you're not wanted. If you're a certain gender identity, you're not wanted. See, all of these things that we have in America that keeps people in their place, mm-hmm. the past system firmly in place, then let's all of us work together to tackle that. That's a huge change, I think, because some people think, well, it's only about those people. Mm-hmm. No, it's mm-hmm. about you too. <laughs> okay. Yeah, yeah. It's about so, all of us. I think that's helpful. How do we get people, you have, you have traveled around the United States. Showing your film 
educating people, giving them opportunities to talk about them. What are some of the greatest resistors that you hear after you show uh-huh. your your films? Um, what what are people? What's the greatest resistance people have? The greater the greatest resistance people have is people, and this this cuts across race lines. People fear this conversation is a zero sum game. What's that mean? I think people think. If I agree that there's a problem in the world, I'm going to lose what I have. So if I say racism is real, if I say another kid in my school doesn't feel as equally welcome as I Mm -hmm. do, Mm -hmm. if I say, and I'll take from you, if I admit that the whole community does not feel valued, appreciated, loved, and supported and respected, Mm -hmm. if I do that, what am I going to lose? And I push back on people and say, that's that's you're not going to lose anything. You're going to gain. So, yeah. so it's fear. It's fear. I, I say to people, look, when I ask you to consider equity and justice, I'm not saying cut your house in half, mm-hmm. give it away. I'm saying there are people who should have the same opportunity to get a house the way you got a house to be allowed to do that. That's all. That's it. Make let make sure everyone can have equal opportunity and. And the folks who are talking about feeling excluded, outside, not welcomed, they need a chance to talk about why they feel that way. Mm-hmm. You hear it? And diversity, inclusion, equity, that's all very nice. Yes, please do it. But until the inner workings, inner workings actually change, mm-hmm. it doesn't make no sense. It brings Don't bring somebody into your house and say, this is how we do it. What, do you, mean when you say, what do you mean when you say the inner workings? The, yeah. Here, here. So, so if you bring, let's, let's say inner work is, let's say it's a house. Mm-hmm. So if you have a house and you say, you know what, my house is only one kind of existence way in this house, but I want it to be different because I see people outside that deserve a chance to be in here. So I'm going to welcome them into this house. Now, when you welcome somebody in, if you don't change your house a little bit, that may be too personal for some people, but I want to use it now. Go ahead. If you don't change your house a little bit, you're not truly welcoming somebody in. If you mm-hmm. say, this is how we function and that's it, then don't say you want diversity and inclusion. You have to say, oh, oh, you don't like sitting on couches. You like sitting on love seats. Let me look into that. Don't say, well, all we have are couches. Sorry. Mm-hmm. You know, don't and, say that we do this at four o'clock and that's it. That's and, worse. and worse. We only have couches. And what's wrong with you that you don't know about couches? Exactly. Yeah, exactly. that's really that's really the deal. Yeah, yeah. Everybody in here understands couches. What's wrong with you? You must that's be problematic. Right. You can't be hard. You're not qualified. Sorry. Right. You're not. You're not a good fit. Right. <laughs> mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So some of it is looking at our mindset and our habit mm-hmm. of things that we have gotten comfortable with, and looking at our fears also mm-hmm. that may be getting in our way. Mm-hmm. Okay. All right. Anything else that needs to change? I'm going back to, you know, the topic. We need to change. Who is the we and what's the change that needs to be made? So what else can you think of that Mm -hmm. needs to change? Uh, You know, I'm thinking of a story, you know, my film, I'm Not Racist, Am I, that I produced. And we showed it at a school out in Portland, Oregon. And a friend of mine from high school, sorry, a friend from college was there. He's grown with kids in the school and 
he saw it, and he he's a white man, and he was so taken aback. He's like, "Wow, I've never thought about racism from this perspective as a systemic issue that I benefit from." And he was struggling with it. And he said, "You know, I started talking to my other white male friends, thinking this is the power I have as a white man, and start talking and trying to get people to change." Mm-hmm. And he told me, "I talked to one of my friends, and he said to me, he said he was so shocked by this." His friend said, look, if it means that when I go to the bank and my loan is going to increase by 0.5%, if more people of color have access to loans means that my interest rate goes up, I'm not interested. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And he said, he was like, wow, I can't believe you would say that. He said, he said, I was so shocked by my friend saying this and thought, wow, this is a problem. That people who benefit don't want to give up anything. And he said, I, he said, hey, he, I'm telling him it's a, pro, it's a process here to showing the change. He told me this story and I listened and I said, yeah, that's, you know, I was a little taken aback, but not surprised. It's powerful to hear what you know to be true, be expressed as a real truth moment from someone and to see someone go through it. So we, I, I was out there again a month or so later. Showing the movie gangs, we had that more, had that more conversation. He and I having dinner. He said, you know, I was thinking about our talk. And I was so critical of my friend and couldn't believe he was thinking that way. And then I thought about how I didn't really understand the privileges I have in America. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I called the bank and I wanted a line of credit for about $100,000. Mm-hmm. And they told me I had to come in and fill out forms. He was like, what? Don't you know who I am? I've done so much business with you. And da, da, da. And he said he realized like he was angry and passionate about it and said, wow, this is what we're talking about. How many people can call the bank and say, I don't, I'm not coming in and fill out some form for $100,000. I want approval over the phone. Don't you know what I've done? Don't you know who I am? That's the question. Don't you know who I am? Right. Yeah, <laughs> right. That's the question. Right. And his, yeah. then where, where he got to was, oh, wow. Um, a lot of pe- most people don't have this ability. What am I doing in the world to ensure that more people get closer to having this ability that I have? And yeah. understanding, I'm not going to lose anything, truly. And when that's I the thing. Have the opportunity. That's the thing. I, I I don't even talk to people about here's what you're going to lose because not very many people are wanting to give anything up. But yeah. it's not about losing. I want to mm-hmm. go back to the who are the we? Who mm-hmm. are the we? Because I've been having conversations. First of all, everyone has to step up and do something. Yes. There's something for everyone to do. The burden, quote unquote, doesn't belong only with white people. It doesn't belong only with black people. It doesn't belong with any any one group. But the truth is that white people have more privilege than um, than other people do. That's just yeah. it. Yeah. I'm thinking about Chris Rock, who said, I think it was Chris Rock, I think, who said, you know what, I'm in this room and I'm rich and there's not a white person in here who would like to trade places with me. Yes. Because it's not just about the money only. Mm-hmm. It's not about how much money you have right now, because mm-hmm. you can lose that money is all the rest of the stuff. Mm-hmm. I'm not even angry with people, Andre, about not knowing what their privilege is. Because mm-hmm. I grew up having privilege that other people did not have. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And I didn't know that for a very long time because mm-hmm. it was just not normal. Right, right, right. But now that we get educated, thank you very much, Andre Robert Lee. <laughs> 
and we know what has happened, we have to use all of our resources, our privilege, and white people, you have more. So you have to use more privilege because you got more privilege to help people who have been denied privilege. See, that's how that works. Right. Completely. 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 I I think I had a very privileged education. Yes. I was a poor boy and got a huge scholarship to go to a private high school. And I saw all that I saw. And my career, I could go and work in a bank. I could go work inside a studio and just make a ton of money and take care of myself and get a big house. But that's not that's not what that's not my that's not my ministry. (laughs) You know, I have accepted that it's my job to educate and share and challenge people and bring them into this place of what you just talked about. How can I how can I help the world? You know, how can I work to to change the who the we is just that it's 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 the we, it's all of us, as you just said. We mm-hmm. all have to find out how we participate in this problem and this beauty and this dilemma and this gift and this struggle that is the world. How and here, chaos? here's what I just heard you say. You could have, you could go, you could go work in a bank, you could go work in a studio. Those options and more, those are just some that you have mm-hmm. that you have ticked off. Mm-hmm. But you have options. Yes. Because you had privilege. Yep. People, the less privilege you have, yep. the fewer options you have. Now I've not I've not thought about that, which is my bad. I've not thought about that in this way before. We look at people, why are you doing this? It's the only thing available to me mm-hmm. to do. Why are you um there's a guy who does uh, has people singing in his car. He's British. Is it James Corbin? That's it. Is that oh, it? Is that it? There's a hug in your future right now. I want you to know. Well, let's make sure it's right. <laughs> he was no, no, no. It's right. It's right. He was talking. I heard him talking uh, about um, you know he grew up poor, mm-hmm. and people are talking about. And he was talking about another comedian. I won't mention his name shaming people because of their size. Mm. And he was saying how hurtful it is to shame people. And what we need to do is understand people's stories. Mm-hmm. And so he said, I grew up poor. My mother, he, she had so many jobs. He, he said, you would probably look at the fact that she was not giving us healthy food. We had frozen chicken uh, parts, frozen chicken bites. And she could get 200 of them for as much as it would cost her to get some chicken broth. And she could feed us for so much longer. Right. Now I ask you, what do you think she was going to do? Right. And I thought about that and he said, you don't know a person's life. That's part of the we. We don't see us as us. We right. see us as them. Right. And and us, they're they're not part of the we, the people. They're mm-mm-mm-mm. they're not we. And until we begin seeing all of us mm-hmm. as us with different backgrounds, different privilege, different opportunity, we're going to have these problems. So what can we do? What can we do to impress upon people's minds and their hearts? You know, yeah. The 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 path has been laid out in front of us. <laughs> you know the people the people 
the pe- okay. The people who are um, don't know about their own particular strength and wealth and growth and ability and opportunity. You know, James Baldwin said it, put your crown on. It's been bought and paid for. So put the crown on. For folks on the other side, understand how they are, you know, I'll pull back. There's a lot of pain and hurt and fear in the world. And I know that oftentimes when you when you look and see when there's a problem, somebody's doing something, somebody bullying, et cetera, it's usually because hurt people hurt people. So deal with your hurt and understand how and why you show up to a situation. Why are you treating someone badly? Why are you, why are you making fun of a James Corbin? You know, I was I was just thinking about this the other day. I won't name who this was, but I saw a, a famous comedian that I love, African American comedian. Saw him in the airport and walked up to him and was like, a little star. I don't get star because I've been in the business, but I was a little bit like, wow, wow, wow. And he looked at me and he was like, what you look at, you black, ugly, and use the N-word. No, he did. Yes, he did in the airport. And it wasn't, there weren't a thousand people around. It was like, it was like him and his little entourage and nobody. It was late night because we were both traveling. And I was so, I looked at him. And just turned and walked away. And I was so hurt by that. I was so hurt. And then I thought, something's going on with you that you look at me and say that. You didn't even, you're not even thinking about me when you say that. There's something, there's some pain you have inside of you. So I forgave him in that moment right there. It's kind of hard. When I see him on TV, I still go, mm, you know, but I forgave him in that moment right there and um, moved on because I thought there are many people who value and appreciate it. But I think that that notion, he needs to go deal with that hurt and understand what it is. And I and I, I come from a space of love of like, wow, you just hit me because something's going on with you. And I pray and hope you can deal with that and understand it. Because that, that we is all of us. It's funny. That's the first time I've ever told that story out loud and shared it. Because I've always felt like, oh, that's, it's so painful and ugly. And am I dwelling on the negative? But I think about it often. Because I think about how people show up to spaces and activate something inside of them that comes from a place of hurt. So this is now going beyond. This is just human people. Yeah. Um, you say hurt people hurt, and I've heard that before. Yeah. And I've also heard people use it as an excuse yeah. for their inappropriate yeah. behavior. Yeah. Instead, I'm hearing this is a a gift to you to know somehow that you need some help, baby. Yeah. Because you're not showing up in a right way, you know? Mm-hmm. And so mm-hmm. that actually perpetuates more. Mm-hmm of the hurt and pain. What can mm-hmm. you do to mm-hmm. stop that? We need to understand that as a nation, we need to understand that as a race of black people, yes. we need to understand that as human race. Mm-hmm. We need to understand and then what can we do? What can I do to support you? Right. While you might be going through your hurt. Right. You know what? I'm going to need you to support me mm-hmm. through my hurt the next time. 
and mm-hmm. and next we need to just really hold each other accountable. Yes, yes, yes. Somebody needs to start holding other people accountable for that silly stuff that they're doing right. that perpetuates hurt. Right. You know. Right. Wow. Yeah, it's real. It's real, and it's in. And to go back to what we talk about in terms of the syndrome, it's learned. It's learned for people to see folks in that way, for him to see me, that comedian see me in that way, and all the people that criticize and talk about somebody's size or somebody's height or somebody's look or somebody's mm-hmm. hair or somebody's blah, blah, blah. All mm-hmm. of a sudden means nothing. It doesn't mm-hmm. mean a thing. Mm-hmm. It's like the moment you come and criticize me for my heart and my mind, that's when you might offend me. But when you talk about all this stuff on the outside, I don't mean nothing, you know. Yeah, and and you know what? That and that's hurtful though. That stuff builds up, and people begin to shut down or act out. You know. Yes. Yes. So you know, a couple of things. People, people like I, I will just say, like me, who came to the planet confident. Um, the first time I I was four years old, and I heard this minister say that we are filthy rags and you were created in sin. And I'm sitting in church at four years old going, "Mm -mm." (laughs) he's not talking about me because I knew better. That's how I'd been raised. And that's how I came to the planet. Mm -hmm. And then I went home. It was a night service. I went home and I said to my grandparents that, you know, mama, pappy, that minister said that I'm a filthy rag and that I was, made in sin. That's not right. And they said, that's right, baby. That's not right. So what can we as elders do to help our young people? What can young people do? Um, then personally, it sounds like then governmentally, what well, we, we got a lot of work to do. Oh yes. Oh yes. <laughs> so, so you asked me that at the end of this interview, cause that's, that's <laughs> That's a that's a we could teach a class on that. That's a semester long question. That's a, that's a dissertation, you know. Yeah. But if, if I try and sum it up, I'm, I'm thinking of um, re- relating to your story. I remember being a little kid and like I, you didn't stop being so smart, you know. You got a smart mouth, and I always was like, why is that a bad thing, you know? And then I get popped because that's that's smart talking back, you know. Yeah. <laughs> Just go down into the trouble hole, um, <laughs> you know. So. So I think, I think we have to look at our language, yes. look at our behavior, look yes. at our activities, look at our laws, policies, and practices, and be honest. We aren't, we aren't honest in, a, in the world. We don't yeah. deal with the truth. The truth is too much. Yeah. We, we like the superficial, okay, we had a meeting, check the box, yay, we've done our diversity work. You know, yay, check the box. I went to one meeting. I'm good. Mm-mm. You know, my 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 therapist and I talk about he's like, he's not gonna feel good after the first session or the first year. We're not here to solve and walk away. We're here to do the process. Yeah. You know? And and to your point earlier, it's not even about four hundred years of slavery. No. It's it's not even six hundred years of the atrocities against the Native American people. Right. We're going back to ancient times. Exactly. And I, I told somebody the other day, I said, it was with Cain slaying Abel, honey, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. that we have to go back to that dawning of time. Mm-hmm. 
when, and if people don't believe in that, look at caveman times. Right. When one tribe was killing another tribe just cause they could, you yeah. know? Yeah. And so we have to really look at how's that working for you, Nabobo? Right. Um, because that is, that's not where we say we want to go. Mm-mm. Oh Lord. Well, I want you to know, I'm glad I'm on this journey with you. Any time we have opportunity to be together, to talk or work or whatever, I'm looking forward to it. Okay, because you know why? Why? Because there's a hug in your future. <laughs> if you want one, okay. <laughs> I definitely want one. I you you know you know the first time. I think it's I I don't mind sharing because I don't mind being vulnerable. The first time I met you, you were brought in to train us, and. It was emotional two days of looking at and trying to understand how we go out into the world with this film called I'm Not Racist, Am I? And we spent, you know, two days reviewing and going through and practicing and and recording ourselves. And it was phenomenal. And towards the end, I said, I love when I'm surprised by myself. And I don't know if you remember this. I start talking about you and how I felt a maternal connection with you and, and such a memory of the folks that I come from, and I guess I couldn't say it then, but I saw your deep confidence, mm. which was which was strange to me. And I started talking to you, and as I was talking, I broke down in tears. I remember. Like an like ugly cry, and I was like, I don't understand what's going on, but I just feel connected to you, and I'm just so grateful for you for being a presence in this earth. And so I, mm. I there's a hug in there for you, Thank you know. You to show the gratitude. I stand where I am today because of your presence, your training, your grace. I, you know, when I first started when you in the pre-work for this session and we're talking about titles, I was like, well, can I call it? Andre loves glory and glory loves Andre. That's what I wanted to call it. <laughs> you should have done that. That would have been good. But this is good. This is good. Thank you. I do remember that. And I remember we held one another. Yeah. I remember that. Yeah. There needs to be more of that in the world, and I'm glad that we are both part of it. So thank you so much. Um, as much as you're loving me, I'm loving you right back, baby. Excellent. Thank you so much for being on the podcast. I love you. Love you, too. Thank you for having me. Thank you. Yes, yes, yes. Andre Robert Lee. What a wonderful, beautiful man. We need to change. Now, what does that mean? What a great question for us to ask. We usually say you need to change or they need to change or it needs to change. The question is looking at ourselves. We definitely need to look outside ourselves. But you know what? It starts also with our looking at ourselves. One of the things we can do is to learn and appreciate our history. Many of us don't have a clue about how any of these things, these systems and our behaviors got started and why. And we can't possibly address them with any kind of long-term remedy and healing if we don't understand how they started. Because the best we can hope for is it'll go into remission, which we've experienced in our country before. Things, horrible atrocities, just going undercover. You know what? We need to rip those covers off of things and really heal at the root core level 
So we can do that by beginning to appreciate our history, honoring our elders and the holders of the real truth, not part truth or the truth that was written to make some people feel better. We need to understand that we're going to have to do some confrontation, uh, confront ourselves and confront each other, not in a confrontational way, but we have to confront the things, the good, the bad, and the ugly. And begin with confronting ourselves, looking at how we have contributed in either passive or aggressive ways, looking at how we could uh, contribute and opportunities we may be missing. So look at our privilege and everybody has privilege. You just don't know what it is. Are there different kinds and different weights and different amounts of privilege? Absolutely. Do white people have more privilege than people of color in this nation? Absolutely. Do men have more privilege than women and other, uh, however you identify your gender identity? Absolutely. So they need to look at it, but it's not just about they, it's also about me. So how am I confronting my own privilege? And then how am I using my privilege? And I'm remembering just to end out uh, an old saying that I heard. While we're busy blaming and pointing the finger at someone else, we need to be careful because there are three fingers pointing back at ourselves. Then we need to look at when we're digging graves, talking about people badly and shaming them and bashing and blaming them. I remember that tale about, you know what, when you're digging one grave for somebody else, you better dig too, because it won't be long before you'll find yourself in one of those. And then lastly, one of my favorite, favorite entertainers and poets and prophets, Michael Jackson. Mm -hmm. And his song, Man in the Mirror. I tell you, when I first heard that song, I was like, wow, this is wisdom. This man been here before, I tell you. Man in the Mirror. I'm asking him to change his ways. How about looking at your ways that need to be changed and what those things are? How will you do it? How will you celebrate and reward it? Who will you invite to be with you as your accountability partner? There are so many things I'm grateful for in this time of trouble and distress that we're going through in our country because of all the ugly stuff. It is really highlighting to us what the beautiful stuff is that we can create that is being exposed that we can take advantage of. I invite you to go on a treasure hunt with me to find the beauty within yourself, between us, amongst us. And then let's uplift and celebrate that. And let's keep the party moving. And while you're doing all of that, just remember, I got you, boo. And there's a hug in your future. I want it. If you want it, I got it for you. Thank you. Bye-bye.